Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts, and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is it will distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor, and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with emerging composer and arranger Isaiah Carter. Isaiah talks about his arranging experience with Berkeley's Pitch Slapped and how his background in instrumental jazz helped shape his career. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Anka Education Podcast. The Anka Education Podcast. How to Justin hey everybody, this is Justin Glodish here with episode 44 of the Aka Education Podcast. And this week I have with me an amazing, amazing young musician. He's a composer, arranger, multi-instrumentalist. He's a beatboxer. His name is Isaiah Carter. And you need to be on the lookout for him because he has done some amazing things in his very short uh, time as a professional musician. So Isaiah, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Isaiah is, uh, you know, reading up on his website, uh, IsaiahTheAlchemist.com. You know, he's from Kansas City, and uh, he was actually involved uh, with uh, this Grammy project, I believe his senior year high school with, uh, you know, doing this jazz project. Can you talk a little bit about just that experience, um, you know, being a part of the Kansas City Youth Jazz Program and going uh, as part of the Grammys? Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it was an interesting situation. So, um, my, so those, those, so those were, those were, those were like two separate things that happened. So when I was in eighth grade, actually, I got into this program called Kansas City Youth Jazz. Um, you know, I've been playing in the jazz band at my school, but then I wanted something, you know, like extracurricular, you know, like music across the city, you know, like my, my, my jazz band was good, but you know, it's always nice to be able to go out and like get people from your community and sort of like bring together the best from like the metropolitan area. So I joined that program when I was like 12, 13, and I continued it up until I was like a junior in high school. Um, and I was actually through that program, I met uh, a friend of mine named Houston Smith. And then together we found out about the Grammy Museum Music Revolution Project. Now, this is when I was like a sophomore in high school. And it was like this pilot program that was trying to bring together a bunch of musicians to do like, uh, basically to like, to like create and like just be in this environment of creation and uh, um, composition for like, I think it was, it was, it was like, a, like a month if I recall correctly. Um, and the pilot Sorry, the pilot program was happening in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a bunch of us applied and what was like 24 of us, 20, like, like, like 20 got in a part, like, like from like a 500 applications around the, around the city. So it was like you know, a pretty small pool of applicants. But then mm-hmm. we went with the program. It was amazing. We met a lot of musicians. We, uh, we met Harmony Samuels, the guy who wrote The Way for Ariana Grande. We wrote, mm-hmm. we, uh, we met MC Lights. We met uh, uh, Kevin Moe. We met, like a, like really cool people in the industry. And then 
we uh, they opened up an exhibit at the Sprint Center in, uh, in downtown Kansas City called the uh, Grammy Museum Experience, uh, based on like what ha- what happens with the actual Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, and uh, I think it was like the head of A and R for Sony or something, but he came down and he said, and he literally, he, we all, he took you, he could let us all like come to the Grammys. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, so this, uh, and this is 2013 at this point. So this, I think this, this was the year that uh, that band Fun with Nate Ruiz, mm-hmm. that's like when they were taking over. So like, and like, so, and I'd never been to the Grammys before. So it was like really, it was, it was, it was like an amazing experience. And then that same year, my junior year of high school, I got into this other program uh, by Grammy in the schools called um, just like regular Grammy camp. Now this is like a nation, and this is like, as opposed to the Music Revolution Project, this project was nationwide. They took uh, 60 to 80 kids from um, actually all around the world. You know, most of the applicants come from US, Canada, and like, you know, Mexico, they take uh, applicants from basically everywhere. Like the year I went, or the, the first year I went uh, in my, uh, in my like little combo because I was on the music like, performance track for drums so my uh, like our bassist was from Lopez was from LA I was from Kansas City of course one of our guitarists was from St. Louis another one was from Minnesota but our saxophone player was from London hmm. and uh, another one of the saxophone players from one of the other bands was from Japan oh, nice. it was like so, so, so like that was like a really like cool experience like it's sort of we all sort of converged on Los Angeles for like I think it was like 10 days of like intensive, like, 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 like getting like mentioned by actual people in the industry in our chosen fields. So like between uh, music performance or music production or songwriting, you know, it was kind of like a mini sort of compressed microcosm of a university mm-hmm. where like we all choose your specific focus and then you, like you have classes that you do with everybody. And like, we had like a big showcase at the end, but uh, yeah. Um, so at that point in my life, right, I was like purely focused on drums and like instruments. And uh, I don't even really think, I mean, I had done like some like arranging for like my jazz combo back at, back at, uh, back at high school, but I never like really seriously done any stuff for myself, like composition wise. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, yeah, at the time, you know, jazz drumming, that was like my thing. Nice. It just, just the experience, just hearing you talk about how awesome just those two experiences were, like, Wow. Like, I, I mean, when I was 13, I, we had our all County, you know, all County music festival, which was literally just people around us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but being able to work with, you know, people, you know, students from London and students from, from Japan, uh, you know, being a part of a tight knit group and, and learning from industry professionals before you even hit college, that's, that's sick. And, you know, and all of that experience, it really led you to the Berkeley college of music, one of the more prestigious programs, in the country, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, there you, you kind of, uh, hooked up with, uh, pitch slapped, which I mean, if you don't, if people don't know who pitch slapped is, please go watch some of the most like phenomenal arrangers, including yourself, you know, Shams Ahmed, you know, just people like come through Berkeley and, uh, have been really well-versed in acapella and you kind of like went on to arrange for them and beatbox for them, do vocal percussion. Um, what was the experience like getting involved with that group? And like maybe almost, sh- I don't want to say shifting gears mm-hmm. because you said you focused on jazz drums, but you had this, now you had this vocal aspect too. Um, yeah. Uh, so the two? 
uh, how, hmm, how do I compare this to this interesting? So like, I, I used to view like in college, I used to sort of view them as sort of like two opposite sides of a coin or something like that. Like here's the, here's the vocal music world. Here's the instrumental music world. But then I realized what made me such a, a such a unique or I guess individual arranger is that I was taking, like, I didn't, I like, I didn't arrange based on, I mean, I arranged based on voices, but I didn't arrange based on what I was thinking a voice was going to be doing. I arranged based on what I thought a band was going to be doing. So I'd have the bass lines, I have the horn lines, I have the synth pads or whatever. And because like, because uh, like at, at the time, the, uh, you know, the pinnacle of contemporary acapella for me was pentatonics. Cause I, and uh, actually, I, I guess at the, tangent that relates it's that really whatever um i a senior year of high school actually this is the, like, like right before berkeley i already knew i wanted to go to berkeley but my senior year of high school technically this latter half of the junior year of my junior year of high school um, my choir teacher or the choir teacher at the school came up to me and asked me to audition for choir because she'd heard me uh like humming some of the lines from the musical to myself and she said oh we can always use more guys in choir so that's a, that's like the universal problem for every high school program yeah, absolutely um, <laughs> So I'm like, you know what? I've spent three years making fun of choir people, but now I guess I'm going to be a turncoat. So then I said, you know what? I'll audition. Um, so I, I, I entered the program in the men's choir, which is like the base when you start out in before you can do the audition groups. So it's like January 2013 or something like that. And then I ended up going um, to audition for the concert choir. I got into that. And when you get to the concert choir, you can audition for the chamber choir. So then I got into that, which sidebar, that makes me the only person at school to have made the chamber choir with only a semester's worth of choir experience, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I got into chamber choir. One of the tenors who was already in it told me about this acapella group called Pentatonics. I'm like, well, that's a cool name. Let me check that out. And they show me, uh, I think it was Carol of the Bells. And I'm like, my God, this is incredible. This seems so cool. I want to do that. But then I was, I was looking, I'm like, okay, I can't sing like these three and my voice isn't as low as that guy. So the only thing I thought I would be able to do was beatbox. Mm -hmm. um, so then I sort of like started, this was like maybe September, October of 2013. I started trying to teach myself some like rudimentary sounds. I'm like, okay, it's basically just like drumming with your mouth. Like this, this shouldn't be too hard to figure out. Uh, then I came across one of their videos, which they had an advertisement for this camp called Acapella Academy at the end. And that mm -hmm. Pentatonix was going to be the artist in residence. I'm like, well, gee, I really want to be Pentatonix. I'm going to audition for this camp. I almost did it. I'm like, you know what? There's people like, 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 like this, this, this seems like a pretty tight knit community, a pretty deep running community. It's probably people been doing this for years who've already, uh, uh, who already have the ability to like do all the things that I think I want to do. But then mm -hmm. I ended up auditioning anyway. And then I got in. Me and that's I think that was that that week that nine days was the sort of skit not, not schism but like, like like the sort of shift in trajectory where I'm like wow I want to learn how to do I want to learn how to arrange stuff I want to learn how to do all this stuff for the voices that these people are teaching me mm -hmm. and it quickly grew beyond pentatonics for me I was like so it was like pentatonics was for lack of a better word it's like a gateway drug you know like mm -hmm. we were. Uh, I heard about them and then I started getting into, I found out about the sing-off. I found out about uh, like all these other groups and like all these other programs. And a couple of the counselors at Acapella Academy were, went to Berkeley uh, and then they were talking about, and that's when I was trying to go to Berkeley and follow them. I said, oh, you should audition for Pitch Left because like, that's, that's like the, at the time, that was like the only group that existed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think it was. I, feel, I, I, I think the other groups weren't founded until like 2015 or something like that. Or maybe, maybe there's a couple, but I think that was like, like the only co-ed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so then I went to, I went to Berkeley. I uh, actually, at Berkeley, my, I, I, I deferred a year, went to University of North Texas to study jazz drumming. And that, mm-hmm. that was the place I discovered, I discovered I did not want to study jazz drumming. <laughs> Um, and then I said, you know what, I want to see more of what there is in like the contemporary music scene. Cause the uh, U- university of North Texas is a very good school. If you have a one track mind, I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to the East coast, uh, go to Berkeley, go to Boston. Uh, I met, uh, I, I met, uh, at the time, the MD of pitch stop, Matt Salee. And he, uh, t- and he told me that Tracy had, uh, Tracy Robertson had told him that I was going to come to Berkeley. I was going to audition. So he had me come in and audition. I wasn't going to, they already had a beatboxer. I figured it was both a waste of my and their time, but I decided to do it anyway. Right. So when they uh, auditioned, I got a callback, uh, learned about the callback music. Um, didn't end up getting to the group, obviously, because they had a beatboxer, but then he told me to just like try again next year. And it was mm-hmm. actually that year that I arranged my first, uh, piece for her. Pitch Lab, uh, Jealous by Labyrinth. Nice. Uh, and this was like my first, the first real acapella arrangement I'd ever tried to do. Like the first one I ever like gave that I knew would be performed and or recorded. So I spent weeks on this thing. I was so nervous. I'm like, I, this is my one shot to make a good impression. If I screw up now, I will never have another chance. This has got to be as good as I can make it. So then I gave it to them and they ended up liking it. Um, and then they asked me to do another and another. Uh, and then by the time fall 2016 rolled around my sophomore year, their beatboxer had graduated. So I auditioned again. I'm like, well, you know, this is it. Cause they, if they take someone else, they're just going to be in the group. Um, mm-hmm. So then I auditioned and I'm getting in. And then, you know, that was the year we made complexion. And then we started doing all this other stuff. Uh, 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 actually, my first year with Pitch Up was kind of crazy. We had a, this random gig in Orlando for this, uh, for like, like for this, uh, like pharmaceutical company. We uh, worked on the set of Daddy's Home Two, the Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell movie. Um, and like at that point, I'm like, I'm like, I was, that was only really two things I was doing at Berkeley was my was classwork and pit and pitch that of my own volition. You know, like like it is possible to do more than uh, like more things, but like me, but for my personal like. Uh, just like personality type, I dive really deep into things. So I was studying film scoring and I was like doing pitch stuff. And those were like the two things I was like really uh, getting into, which is like very, I mean, they're very different tracks technically, but not so much, you know, cause like, I was still like orchestrating and piecing together and creating arcs and everything. So I was, well, like my arranging and pitch stop was informing the choices I was making when I was writing to a cue or like uh, cutting to a, uh, cutting to a screen. Um, and I began to think about how the, the I, like you were asking, like, like how they had all those two, had all those two things different, the instrumental world and the acapella world. And I realized that they don't mm-hmm. and realizing that they don't, and that you don't have to, that acapella doesn't have to sound a certain way just because it, it has sounded a certain way. It really unlocks your ability to do stuff that people can consider innovative, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like people always like to, like, like, like to talk about how they want they think acapella should sound a certain way like, like even some people say oh you should only use like a pf snare you should only use a certain kind of rhythm kit for things but like 
incorporating all these other elements from these popular forms of music into your into what you're doing allows you one to reach a wider audience beyond beyond just the acapella community and two makes you a more well-rounded musician because you're treating acapella as an instrumentation and not a genre right and once you move past that limitation to me um and, and acapella and then i discovered even in film scoring you know or or producing or anything like like that's that's like a core tenet and it's thinking beyond like having a specification fine but like thinking beyond feeling you have to be locked in that into that specific that specification i think is the core of what's unites any aspect of uh the create of the creation creative portion of the music industry Nice. And I was actually, this was going to lead me to another question that I just had. It was uh, in in terms of, you know, how you do your arranging um, and you talk about, you know, you you arrange towards the instrumentation, you know, like you had your synth pads, you have your percussion here. Um, Does that affect how you approach the, you know, vowel placement and, you know, things like that? Cause I know that for, you know, some yeah. of the more novice, novice arrangers, you know, they might just stick with the dum-dums and the boom-booms and the dim-dims and mm-hmm. things like that. So how do you approach, you know, you know, changing up syllables or changing up, you know, when we hear pentatonics, you had mentioned them for, for most of them, it's, you know, you, you have your oohs, ahs here and there, but then they incorporate the, um, you know, the backing vocals too, because, you know, there's only four of them actually singing. And then you have, you know, you have Kevin beatboxing Mm -hmm. the whole time. So how do you approach when it comes to placing Mm -hmm. syllables um, in your arrangements? Uh, So actually syllables is the hardest part for me, I would say. And it's the part I haven't, I don't know if I've completely mastered. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even today I'm learning like new things, but like, like for instance, I'm learning to arrange both for the stage and the studio. Um, and the way you play syllables can really affect the way your arrangement is translated. For instance, like you may, I realize you may be in the studio saying, oh, the lead doesn't come up enough. Like the lead's, like the lead's not loud enough. You think it's the mix engineer's job or, or the mix engineer's fault, but really it's because you put your entire ensemble on an ah in a frequency that conflicts with the, with like, with like, like maybe the more uh, like muted or sibilant words that you're that you're always singing. And those are things to consider when you're arranging a song. Cause like, you, like, like syllables are what's going to give the song its texture. We'll do is I will, I'll think about, I, uh, I use like music theory and like, like, like music practice as a vehicle for what I, for what I'm feeling. Like I said, this a little, a little bit ago, um, theory is just a way to tell the brain what the heart already knows as far as music is concerned. Like, you know what you're listening for, you know what you want to hear. I'll make stuff percussive. I'll, I'll, I usually like, uh, um, like for, for bass lines especially, like, like, like doom is using my default syllable because I, you have really pretty rhythmic bass lines. But then I'll, I'll like change it up a little bit and like throw in like some ns or gz if I'm trying to make like a, uh, a lines feel more sung, uh, uh, more uh, through composed. You know, it feels different than, you know, like, like, just like, I try to make everything sound as horizontal and forward moving and as intuitive as possible. So then I'll structure my syllables around that. <clears throat> and like, I, I know this is going to be a soft moment. I'm going to put it on ooze. I know this is going to be a loud moment. I might put this on Oz. I know this is going to be a big chorus. I might have that, the higher part do, uh, uh, have a uh, sort of ah uh, vowel, but then I'll have the baritones and tenor singing words under it or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and then I try to also, tr- I try to treat the voices as instruments 
too. You know, sometimes if I, if like, if I want like a, uh, like, uh, like some kind of like synth ostinato or something like that, I'll do like, um, um, uh, you know, like I was saying before, like a really like percussive syllable or like a percussive syllable mixed in with like a more muted syllable to sort of like, I guess, underscore what's going on, like the, uh, um, but, uh, uh, Sort of going, what's sort of going on with like the full arrangement like a right. really good um i think a really good example of a song that does this that you would that, that i might uh try to emulate is thriller because you know mm-hmm. you've got like the synth doing the uh <clears throat> was the f sharp seven to c sharp minor or whatever um so then you have the but then you have the bass but then you have the guitar and you know you and you and you can't have the same syllable for all those different parts because then this is going to sound jumbled you know you need the different textures mm-hmm. and that's what i base all my syllable writing on even even as i'm continuing to develop it is textures feeling emotion and placement in the song Mm. that's totally smart because you uh-huh. usually don't if you're giving all the similar syllables like it gets muddy mm-hmm. it's like kind of and it doesn't give you more of that that flavor that it, it so much needs and the whole process that you just did with thriller it actually reminded me of uh of michael jackson himself you mm-hmm. know, because michael like that's how he got his point across when he was would talk to his musicians mm-hmm. he did, like there's a great portion of the movie this is it where he's like talking to the like just the band is like i need it like this i need it like that. and he just starts singing it mm-hmm. you know and that's that's totally it's just, it's just cool watching your process happen here and um in terms of your arranging you know you've been really successful with pitch slapped but also you've been arranging for scholastic groups and and actually there's a group that just formed I, I i feel like they formed through tiktok there are a bunch of singers that have come together i know that nina nelson uh, nina and nelson from citizen queen is involved um there's a lot of other phenomenal singers uh in there and uh justin i believe it's justin critchfield who's uh in revoiced mm-hmm. is uh he does a lot of the mixing there but um the group is called ear candy mm-hmm. and you actually were just nominated for a car award for your arrangement of most wonderful time of the year so with a group like that who kind of came together i guess through the pandemic through tiktok what's it like working with a client when they're all dispersed throughout the country as opposed to you know say when you were in pitch slapped everyone is is together on campus uh for rehearsals mm-hmm. uh so actually that's been a um so actually that's not that so that process arranging for ear candy wasn't too much different than some of the like this like the process i would have arranging for just like a regular group that i wasn't a part of you know with pitch slap i would arrange very uh, specifically i would hear people's voices in my head i knew them because they were my friends because we were in the same group so then i would arrange for the for that group and then in rehearsal i would say now I remember in rehearsal because I wrote a certain way, they were singing a certain way. And then if I had any like specifications I wanted to make that I would go through and, and like make those. But then with a group that you, you know, you're not a part of or that maybe you haven't heard before, you have to sort of, um, you have to find a ways to be creative that is more on a median line that's less specific. With Erie, it was kind of, uh, it was like kind of a balance of both because I knew a couple of them already. I knew how they were going to sound. So I, when I would give them certain lines, I knew that they were going to, I knew they were going to sing in a certain way. And I used those as like my signposts through which I oriented to the rest of the ensemble. Uh, it also helped that they were all like extremely talented singers. They were all, they all had a, had a, uh, had a, uh, were like, 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 like good musicians. That's, that was really important. And um, that they all, had a, enough of a sense to know 
where stuff was going when I was writing. Cause, cause like, 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 I, like I, I try to write my lines. Like I'm not trying to trick anybody when I write my lines or like my background melodies or anything. I'm trying to make it as intuitive as possible for, for, for ease of learning, for ease of listening. And for just like, you know, the, the more intuitive a song sounds, the more earworm it gets and the more people remember it, you know, that's all, that's just, you know, great good for a brand. Um, so then for this particular, um, I, but like, like, they, like, like they came together through, through the pandemic, but then their rise was pretty meteoric, you know, like they, right. they blew up on TikTok. They blew up. On, I think they're, they're verified on TikTok, on Instagram, like on all, all these platforms. They just performed in the, the virtual graduation thingy for CNN or something like that. Yep. I saw that. Yeah. Um, uh, so then when actually when they when one of the tenors, when Anthony reached out to me, what was it? I don't know. It was like last October asking me to do the arrangement. I was well. First of all, I was stoked just because I know, like, like, oh, they're 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 really big. They re- they could have the pick of anyone. They came to me, so I was like honored or whatever. Um, and then I thought, I know that they like I know that they're going. I know that this is going to be a Christmas album. I know this is going to be sung by people with a wide array of who are all phenomenal singers. Maybe like like, like a different range of like reading ability. Uh, which I, which another thing I'm trying not to base the complexity of my arrangements on reading ability, just like on whether or not it's like singable. Like if someone can sing it to you and you can sing it back. Um, and, my, and I also knew that they were all sort of throughout the, uh, throughout the country. So then I asked questions about how they had been doing their previous arrangements and stuff they posted on TikTok and like if they might have been making park tracks or whatever. And then I found out that some of them were actually going, they were actually meeting up to record in like one studio in LA like okay. like quarantining for two weeks and like flying out and like and then some of them weren't you know some of them were, were just recording at wherever they were and then sending it to justin so we could edit and do whatever he needed to do mm-hmm. um so then i like made the arrangement and then i got my friend Sahila, who's like one like the best part which she's a com- accomplished arranger in her own right and then also oh, yeah. i think like my personal favorite like part tracker like if i ever have like part tapes i always go to Sahila. Yeah. um she's but phenomenal then, so, then, so then i sort of yeah yeah yeah, she's phenomenal. Uh, so that, yeah, it, it's extremely incredible, extremely accomplished in a bunch of, but like, I don't want to eat up your time because like, we could be here for hours talking about Tahila. <laughs> but uh, I like, I like um, to that, I, I would tell her like what I was feeling and she's and she's a, she's an intuitive musician too. So then she would sing a line. I'm like, okay, yeah, but then I want a little bit like this. And then, you know, I remember, as the beauty of having someone who can do that, who can sing those part tapes. So then people who, when you send them out, you know, they can read the music, but they can also hear the inflection, you know, because like black and white ink, you know, notes on a page can only tell people so much. Right. right. Um, you know, and, and, and it's hard to like include little inflections in sheet music, you know, like if you want to scoop a return, it's very hard. Like, it's very, like, 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 like to put those, actually put those on paper can make it look a little more complicated than it actually is. So then, um, what I realized is that I had to write it a certain way. I had to write it as easy as it could be read, but then have it sung the way I feel it actually needed to be sung, which is, you know, where tequila came in. Um, And then, you know, they nailed it. It was like, 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 thanks to like, I guess thanks to me being clear about what I wanted and then tequila doing what I wanted and then disseminating it to the group. Anthony would like send me an edit. Hey, how, what do you think about this? And I'm telling him, oh, I wanted this part to come out or I wanted this part to come out. And that's another thing I realized during this whole process is that uh, it's something that I've actually been kind of ignorant of in my in the earlier 
favorite parts of my acapella career is that collaboration between the arranger, the producer, the editor, the mixer is extremely important because if, if, if only, if only one of those person pe people thinks they're, they're completely right, then, you know, you get a product that nobody is, uh, um, you know, completely happy with, but luckily, you know, we have like, uh, like, 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 like everyone just wanted to serve the arrangement. So then we all told them how I felt it to sound. And then I said, Oh, and then someone else would say, okay, I know, that in order to do this, this is going to happen. Is it, are you sure that's what you want? Now listen, sometimes it'd be like, yeah, but sometimes it'd be like, you know, and you're, you're, you're right. We should do it a different way. Absolutely. And uh, you actually, um, I believe I, I read that with the varsity vocals competitions this year, uh, you were mm -hmm. actually involved with some of the, the, uh, the winning groups or, or some of the, the finals groups. Uh, can you talk about how, uh, when we talk about ear candy, we're talking about, you know, solid musicians, you know, and you had talked about them, you know, they're all out of high school, you know, some of them are college level. Um, but with the scholastic groups, you know, whether they're high school or in college, um, how different is it to, to arrange for those groups as opposed to say, you know, some of the semi-professional or professional groups that you've worked with? So it depends. So usually I will, I will, I'll, uh, like, I'll, like, I'll get the client, the client will email me saying, Hey, we're such and so from such and such university. We like your stuff. And usually, uh, uh, usually what I'm, what I'll put on those that if they're coming to me, they're coming to me because of the way I arrange. So they're expecting a certain level of complexity or musicality or something like that. So that I, I can assume that they are able to execute on it, you know? Um, and now, uh, like, I, like, I don't like, like a lot of people will sometimes will expect pitch slap level arrangements for uh, for non pitch slap type groups. Like pitch slap, uh, at the time I was at, at, at towards the, like the last couple of years I was in it, it was I was like I don't I don't want to say niche, but they had a very or was it niche or whatever. I, I don't, they had a very specific way that they did things that was that was unique to them. Um, like not even genre wise, but just like the way that they sang things, the way that we did things was very unique to us. So like, it's not like I can just, it's not, it's not like those arrangements are one size fits all. Right. Um, so with these other scholastic groups, what I would try to do if I could was find recent videos of them to get a sense of how they sounded. And then I, would, I you know, ask for a list of like, who are their, uh, like what's their roster, who are their, um, like, like, like who are their MVPs, who are their like uh, heavy hitters or whatever. And then it helps if I'm, it help, always helps if I'm like familiar with like, with, like the group like beforehand or at least the, the singers. So like with uh, the group that just won finals, Philpott from uh, University of Maryland, I've been ranching for them for a couple of years when they came in the, when they came to me with the, uh, with the Sam Smith song. And then I still, I, so off the bat, I knew, okay, they have really, a really like solid like, like upper voice section like the sopranos and altos are killer. So then I'm like I'm going to cater this arrangement to the to the sopranos and the altos, and I'm going to give them really cool lines. I'm not, I'm not going to like neglect the tenors and the baritones, but I'm going to play to their strengths. Mm -hmm. And I think that and that, that's a really important thing is that is like uh, like when you're arranging, uh, know your client and also know your audience. I also know that what that this is going to be for ICA. So there was a certain uh, the. Uh, like, like there's a certain level of uh, there's a certain art you need to have for those kind of competition sets that the judges and the, the audience are going to be looking for, you know, as, as opposed to like a passion project when you can just like do whatever you want. Um, so then I would I try to keep all these things in mind when I would arrange for these groups, um, and I like like it's it, it's. It's a different it's 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 a different process because it's a smaller pool, you know. It's it's just a university as opposed to like 
picking from whoever you want across the country, which right. sometimes is a good thing, you know, so like, like at Berkeley, you know, it's, you're surrounded by good singers. You've got you like the like cream of the crop as far as musicians are usually already there. Right. Um, but uh, because that's what they're going to school for. But then others, you know, like, like you got people who are in music, but also got people who are in psychology or people who are studying like like biology or something like that or like like, or like things. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make them any less of good singers or whatever, but you realize that that's not everybody's main focus. So not every, may, everybody might may not have had the uh, growing up with the same pedigree, you know. Right. Uh, so then, you know. I try to be cognizant of that when I arrange for these groups. And then like, like I was saying, like cater to their strengths, make sure that I give them something that I like, but also that they can do well the way they do it, mm-hmm. that they can execute in the way that they can execute it. Um, you know, because like you want to, uh, obviously you, you want the groups you're right for it to sound good. Right. Yeah. And now, um, pretty much uh, the last question kind of before we go is going to tie back into, you know, the instrumental compositions and scores that you work on um, and just the amount of time that it takes for you. Uh, what have you been doing in terms of, you know, film scores and, and, and composition work um, just, you know, the, the amount of arranging that you do for, for groups, uh, is it the same for as in terms of creating scores? Um, or is that more, um, you're, you're doing it to kind of build portfolio work to, to be able to get more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I definitely am in, in like, that's like, I guess like the portfolio building stage, but also in this, like the develop, like I had my degree, but like the first two years out of Berkeley, I was pretty much solely doing arranging and like mm-hmm. some composition, but it, was, it had definitely taken a back seat. It was actually only during the pandemic that I really got back into like crafting like original scores, which is when I started doing like my illustrations mm-hmm. um, on Instagram, where like I would like take a clip and then I would put like, you know, whatever I felt like would be cool behind it. Um, and like, 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 okay, like what feeling is this creating? What feeling am I trying to evoke? Cause that's the core of film scoring is storytelling. Right. What stories are trying to tell? Um, and then doing those sort of merging my arranging uh, experience with my composition experience and like trying to grow my chops as a composer. Uh, I mean, I say I don't have any, but like it's, it's definitely not as big of a, it hasn't been as big a part of my musical development as arranging has, at least in the, like the past couple of years. Um, so then like, so like, but like now be like, because like, like that was my passion. That's what, that's what I went to Berkeley because I want, that's what I wanted to do. Right. So that, that's like, now I'm trying to like really get back into building that, like getting like uh solid state drive from my laptop. I got to do a bunch of new sound libraries, like sign up for splice, like a bunch of stuff um, to like really like get the, I like sort of get the ball rolling on establishing a workflow in this particular area of, of music, you know? Right. Uh, and, and like my dream's been since I was like 12 was like to score a Disney film so like that's like one oh, of the nice. things I've been like like, like 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 listening to like some of my favorite Disney scores and like figuring out like what makes them amazing and like what like what specific uh, tropes because these composers go back to to evoke certain emotions you know because like like, like like you can't like 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 whenever you want to add to a map, you've got to think, or whenever you want to forge a new path on a map, you've got to figure out where you are and figure where you've been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do is like figure out what is so I can, I can, so I can then begin to comp- uh, contemplate what can be. 
Um, and that's applies to arranging too, but like specifically to composition, you know, I've been just been trying to grow my portfolio and grow my own, I like guess, specific voice, if that makes any sense. Makes so perfect that, sense, yeah. Uh, so that like eventually people will be able to hear like a composition or something and tell that I had something to do with it because I've found my own musical identity in that particular realm. Smart. Awesome. I love it. Now, how would people go about contacting you if uh, they wanted to work with you? Uh, so I, I have a, a contact page on my website. There's a, there's a, like, like, so then like, like they'll, they'll put it in the website and then my website email. And then sometimes people, uh, a, a lot of times people will actually just DM me on Instagram or message me on Facebook or like these other, like, uh, like, like these other avenues. I thought about trying to consolidate it, but I don't want to like cut off any like one avenue to end by emails, you know, just like, like, like cold, like, like cold emails or like from my website. Um, and luckily I had the foresight a couple of years to go to funnel the mail to my professional email instead of my school email. Took the shut off when I graduated. Um, and so, yeah, so then like people will send me, email, they'll, they'll either go to my website, uh, like Alchemy Music, Isaiah the Alchemist, or they'll send me an email at Isaiah the Alchemist at gmail.com or something like that. And then, uh, I, 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 I tend pretty close to my email because I hate having like unread emails like stack up. You know, some people can sit with a thousand emails unopened. I can't do that. I can't so then I, I like, yeah. <laughs> and then I know that, I, so I have to check it and I know if I don't respond, I'm going to forget. So that I'll, I'll, like, I'll like respond to the email and then I like, like tell them my, my rates and ask them like what they're looking for as far as their, uh, uh, what they're looking for in the arrangement with the timeline is. I realize that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, then I get to do my alchemy thing. Awesome. And I'm actually going to be putting up Isaiah's website um, and also uh, Instagram. So uh, on the episode description for this episode, so that everyone can just click on the link in the episode description, head right over there and uh, get in contact with them if uh, they would love to work with them. Uh, Isaiah Carter, it has been an honor to talk with you, man. Uh, Love everything that you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, best of luck, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad I got the chance to talk to you, man. It's been great. Uh, we'll be right back.